So good to be with you all this morning. It's so good to see so many faces in church. You know, slowly, it seems like more and more people are getting more comfortable coming back and uh, praise God. Amen. Um, I love it. So the last two times that I spoke, I spoke on uh, body, soul, and spirit. And I, I, I feel like the Lord has prompted me to continue in this vein. And I want to talk this morning specifically about releasing the mind of Christ, which he's, he's given to us. Um, but just to, to recap briefly, um, you know, we're body, soul, and spirit. Um, we, we, we have a body. That's what everybody sees, our flesh, uh, which he's given us to steward and take care of in this life. And the more you, you take care of your body, it'll take care of you. Um, we have our mind, our will, our emotions, which make up our soul realm. Um, and that's, that's what God has given us, you know, and the Bible teaches us, we've gone over this, uh, that we're to renew our minds on the word of God. We have to fill our minds with truth. The Bible says that uh, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So, you know, I used to stumble over this because I said, I, God, I know the truth. I believe your word. But here's the thing about the soul realm is it's not just made up of your intellect. So you could intellectually assent and agree but your experiences, uh, your emotional realm, other parts of your soul may not fully believe the word of God. So we need to, we need to start to command all of our you know, soul realm, our minds, our will, our emotions to line up and agree with God's word. We break agreement with lies. We know in our spirit that's the part that God came down and touched, and we were born again of an incorruptible seed of the word of God. In our spirit, our spirit completely aligns and agrees with God. In our spirit, we fully have the mind of Christ. We think like Christ. The problem is in our soul realm is we start to filter our knowledge of the word of God through our experiences, and then we start to get jaded on as to what we fully believe. So let me just touch on a couple of scriptures quickly. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. You could turn to that on your phones or your tablets. Some people can flip pages. I don't know how many. <laughs> Used to hear pages flipping. That's thing of the past. <clears throat> First Peter 1.23 says, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the word of God was spoken to me, to you, maybe it was quoted, maybe in some other way, but basically someone came to you and shared with you the truth about Jesus Christ. And in that process, something came alive in you and you put faith in it. And it wasn't your faith because the word has faith resident inside it. When the word of God comes, it contains faith. And when it takes root inside of you, it brings forth fruit. And then you believed and you received Christ as Savior. And then the whole world opened up to you. Um, turn with me to Galatians 5, beginning of verse 
22. I'm reading from the King James Version, not the New King James. You know, I'm, I'm finding it interesting as I continue in this study. Some t- modern translations, you have to really look at what's the original Greek and go back. And not every, it, the scriptures in the different translations will give you a good sense of what God's word is. But when you start parsing it and trying to understand what was said, sometimes you have to really dig into the, the original Greek and, you know, sometimes look at other translations to help you understand. So in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I just want to read about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the King James Version. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I think the New King James says faithfulness. But the King James says faith. Faith is a fruit. Fruits come from seeds. Right? You plant the seed. Inside that seed is all of the DNA, all of the natural things that in that seed contains everything that is meant to be produced on the outside. The incorruptible word is a seed that's been planted in our hearts. That seed has the entire DNA of Jesus Christ because he's predestined us to be what? Conformed into the image of Christ. When Satan crucified Jesus, he thought he had a victory. Got rid of that guy. He was really a a problem for Satan's kingdom. But striking down Jesus, seeing him buried, he rose again. And then he put his spirit in each of us, right? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. So now, instead of one Jesus, he's got all of us to deal with. Now, look, we're all in growth stages, right? Because our spirit has been born again. It looks just like Jesus. But the rest of us, is in, the rest of us soul and body, it's in process. The body's not going to be redeemed until, you know, we go to be with the Lord and he raises up an incorruptible body. In the meantime, we have to re-renew our minds. We have to start to agree with heaven. Our soul has to be transformed. But... Everything comes from this seed of the word of God. So it's just important that we understand that inside of us dwells this incorruptible seed. And what we want to do is align ourselves, our thoughts, our will, our emotions with what God says about us. And let that seed bring forth. And that seed contains faith. We're not trying to increase our faith, we have the faith, is trying to just align ourselves with what God's already said about us. Romans 10.10, for with the heart a man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's some deep inside we must believe. And it's not just mental assent. This is where I've used, I used to stumble, was thinking if I just agree mentally, then that's agreement. But as you go through life, you realize that there's other parts of you. You have an emotional intelligence. You have experiences, sometimes uh, trauma and other events that just affect how you approach life. You may even recognize that you have some fears and they're irrational, but you can't control them. Like 
Some people have a fear of heights. Like if they go up a tall building and they look over, they're like totally freaked out. And you can't explain that away except there's something inside that's causing people to react a certain way. And again, we need to apply the word of God and let the seed that's in it, in us, come out and deal. Because his perfect love casts out all fear. Okay. Galatians 2.16 says, again, reading from the King James Version, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Again, if you look at the New King James Version, it says, uh, not justified by the works of the law, but um, not by the faith of Jesus Christ, but by faith it, in the New King James, by, by faith in Jesus Christ. So it kind of flows a little better. It sounds nice. But it, it, the slight change can, can, is, creates a different meaning. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been justified by the faith of Jesus. It's not your faith. It's his faith. And he's put it inside you. How? He put his incorruptible word in you. So it's his faith you're justified, not your own. So you're not trying to work your faith up, build your faith up. It's there. He put it in you. It's important we understand this because we want to start to operate in faith and release what's already inside us, not try to build it up and work it up and, you know, sing 10 songs and, you know, do all to get my faith up. It's there. We have to believe it. And there are, there are other, other scriptures. So here's the issue. The issue isn't that you don't have the faith. The faith is resident inside you. You have the faith of Christ. So you, that's why he said, you, you know, you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He, he's in us. We, there's nothing we can't do through Christ. We have his faith. The issue is either two things. Sometimes there's a knowledge problem. Sometimes we don't know that. So hopefully we're going to start to eradicate that right now, that we begin to know. Another issue that comes up is being double-minded. Here's the issue is, is what do we really believe? What do we hold on to? You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I've shared this testimony numerous times about being 30 years serving God, having come to a crisis time, and really being shaken, and certain people noticing that dad like my son dad you don't really believe god is your father and i looked at him like you're crazy other people said similar things people that i respect and again i'd look at them as crazy like what do you mean i don't believe god of course i do i teach it god is a good father he loves me i know i'm his son but here's the thing not all of your soul and your knowing is the mind. The mind's only a piece. You know, we need to renew our mind in the way we think. But you have your mind, your will, and your emotions. And things happen. And, you know, how many have heard of emotional intelligence? You know, some people can be really smart, but they have no emotional intelligence. What is that? They have no sense of how people feel. 
I can tell you facts and circumstances, and, but I don't understand that I might be speaking truth to you, but I'm making you feel this small in the process. Or, or someone just needs to be heard and held, not someone to tell them right and wrong, and you should do this, you should do this. Just, just say, I understand how you feel. Sometimes that's all, people just need to know that you understand how they feel instead of trying to fix it. Now, a lot of men have that issue. I, for many years in my marriage, maybe I've gotten a little better, I need just to understand how my wife's feeling and not go into Mr. Fix-It mode. Well, you need to repent, or you need to do this, or you need to do Because all that gets you is a whack in the head. <laughs> so it's not, just, it's not just a mind thing. We have to, our mind, our will, and our emotions must align with the word of God. Okay, turn with me to James. I want to point something else out. James chapter 1, beginning of verse 5. I'm skipping around a little bit. James chapter 1, beginning of verse 5. If any of you, reading from the New King James Version, even though I was putting it down a moment ago. <laughs> I, I, I like the New King James Version. I, j I like to look at different versions, and I like to get at the meat of what God is saying. And sometimes you, you want to parse words and understand what exactly was said. That's why we, I do that. But anyway, New King James Version. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men liberally. It means he just freely gives it out without reproach, meaning what? If someone reproaches you, they kind of correct you, or they, you know, he does it without reproach. If you ask wisdom, he's not correcting or, or, or chastising. He's doing it without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him who asks, ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Okay. So, so this hit me. A double-minded man will not receive anything from the Lord. And in fact, he's very unstable. How many don't want to be double-minded? So our goal is to have a single-minded focus, single-minded devotion, single-mindedness on what God's saying. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 14. I'm going to drive the scripture people crazy today because I'm going all out of order, but I'm just trying to follow what I think the Holy Spirit's saying. Okay, Matthew 14, beginning at verse 28. I'm talking about 
renewing our, our minds and aligning our, everything in our soul realm, we want it to align with what the Word of God is saying. Uh, and I'm, right now, I think it's important that we understand there's, there's knowing and agreeing, and then there's also other things that, that happen in life that can cause you to be double-minded. And our goal is to be single-minded in our, in our faith in what God is doing. Okay. Matthew 14, beginning of verse 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, so just the context, the disciples are in a boat. Jesus says, you guys go on ahead over to the other side. I'll meet you. They get in the boat. They're heading over to the other side. In the middle of the night, Jesus decides, uh, I guess there's no more boats left. I'll just walk over <laughs> the lake, the sea, whatever it was, to get to the other side. They're, uh, they're rowing. It's a little bit difficult uh, crossing in the boat. And at some point, they look and they, see, they think it's a ghost. And they say, oh, my God, there's a ghost. And they're, they're freaking out. And Jesus says, don't worry, it's I. And then Peter, let's go to verse 28. Peter says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So we said, come. I think this is amazing because Peter, we've, we see throughout all the scriptures, he's very impetuous. Peter says the first thing that pops into his mind. He's not a contemplative guy. He's not like John, the beloved, who ends up on the island of Patmos, receives all the revelation because he's just very contemplative. Like, you don't read that about Peter. Peter's not hanging out, sitting, just getting deep revelation. Peter's just operating. And so, listen, there's hope for all of us. Like, we're not all contemplatives. It's okay. We need both, right? How many love the Gospel of John? How many read the letters of John? They're amazing. I love it. I just eat it up. I think it's like one of the most spiritual Gospels. Like when I read them, I'm like, wow, John really understood the deep things of God. But he was a contemplative. So we need the contemplatives. But we need the Peters, too, because they make the rest of us feel okay. Okay, Matthew 14, verse 28. Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. I don't think, see, this is what I mean about, he just shoots his mouth up. Well, if that's you, tell me to come. All right, come, okay. So Peter gets down. He comes down on the boat and he starts to walk on the water. See, and now Peter starts to think. Before, he was just impetuous, like, Amazing, like, oh, yeah, okay. So he gets down. He starts to walk on the water and go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter believed if it's you, tell me to come. Come. Peter acted on the word of God. Stepped out of boat, began to walk. He's the only one of the, the disciples, the apostles, that's ever recorded that he walked on water. And he started going to Jesus. But then, you know, many sermons on this. He took his eyes off Jesus, whatever. 
But really, Jesus pointed out what happened was he began to doubt. He started to look at situations and circumstances and started not to believe that he could operate simply based on what God said. He started operating simply on faith in the word. And the word contained faith, and he just said, tell me to come, come. Stepped out of the boat, he began to walk. But now he started to filter the word of God through his experience. What do you think his experience started to tell him? You can't do this. What's wrong with you? And it was, it was amplified by the wind. The wind was boisterous. Have you ever, has anybody ever been out on a boat or in the sea and, and, and with a boisterous wind? It's choppy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm probably be, I would probably be just like Peter, like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing this, but... It's not like the sea of glass, you know, and I'm just, this is, uh, this is a voice. So Peter looked around, and here's what happened. He started to process through his soul realm. His soul realm had experienced certain things. Peter was a fisherman. Do you ever think he stepped out of a boat before? Yes. What happened? He sank. What did he do? He learned how to swim. Um, but he knew you can't, you can't do that. So, but in the moment... Based on the word, he stepped out in faith and started walking to Jesus. And Jesus said, what happened? He said, Lord, say immediately Jesus caught him and said to him, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? I think he, he clearly started in faith, but he became, but he, he had a double mind, if you will. He wasn't single-minded. Like the word of God said it, I believe it. Settles it, right? It's a saying some people, we used to put it on our Bibles. God said it, that settles it. Used to say, I believe it, that settles it. Then people say, no, it doesn't matter if you believe it. It just settles it. That's the word of God. <coughs> so Peter stepped out on that, but then he, he was double-minded. I think a lot of us, and I know my own personal experience, I've stepped out, believing God for healing, believing God for different things, praying for the sick or praying for miracles, and you step out in faith, but somewhere, at least personally, you can ask yourself, I may have been double-minded. And so we have, to, we have to focus on how do we, how do we get rid of this double-mindedness? How do we just become people of the word? And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit more this morning about releasing the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's a, that's a deep saying. We have the mind of Christ. How many, how many of you are just confident that your mind is simply the mind of Christ? I can tell you a lot of my thoughts are not the mind of Christ. But I want to reprogram, retrain my mind, my neural pathways to line up and agree with the word of God. That's why it says to renew your mind. Okay. 
when we're reading the Bible, so how do we do this? How do we release the mind of Christ? This is why it's very important for us to, number one, we need to begin to study God's word. It's, and I know I'm talking to a room full of New Yorkers and out on the Zoom world, mostly New Yorkers. And uh, which means what? It means you're busy people. It means you have a lot of responsibilities. Your days are filled and packed. And, uh, you know, we often, I can speak personally at times, we let other things crowd out our time and we don't set aside specific time to study the Word of God. We need to. You can navigate life without it, but I don't believe you can experience the deep things of God, experience the manifest power of God without spending time reading God's word and asking him by the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you and bring it to life inside of you. So it's not just reading for the sake of, let me get my, my reading in, you know, although honestly, I don't think that's bad. Like if that's what you're doing, keep doing it, but ask for more. God, I, I'm reading it, but I need to know. I need you to open up the scriptures to me. Make it real. Make it alive. I don't want to put down any part of what you're doing. Keep doing it. Don't get the and say, oh, I can't do it that way. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> Whatever effort you make toward the Lord, keep going. Don't stop. Okay, so when you're reading the Bible, you're receiving God's word through your physical eyes, you know, and, and into your mind. Um, you're taking this knowledge into your soul, and it's causing you to have new thoughts and ideas in your physical mind. And then what happens in your spirit? Sometimes you're reading scriptures. How many have had an experience where you read a scripture and it just jumps off the page at you? Okay. The Bible talks about that as, as, as bearing witness. Romans 8.16, I want to give some language to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. When you're reading and studying the Word, sometimes you're going through a situation, certain scriptures will pop out at you and become a guidepost. That's where this is the logos. We're reading the Bible the Greek word is the logos, the eternal word of God. It's just true all the time, and it's just there. But there's another word called rhema, which is the now word of God, the word for the moment, the word that is speaking to you about this current situation. A scripture for me that became a life scripture is Proverbs 19, 20, 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it's the Lord's counsel that will stand, or other version you might say, the Lord's purpose for that man that will stand. When I was, <clears throat> I believe the Lord had called me to go to law school like 30 years ago, and uh, heart set on it. I had a certain school I wanted to go to, applied that school and others, and this school that I was so set on, I was rejected from, I was crushed, and the Lord gave me this scripture. Many plans on a man's heart, 
but it's God's purpose that will stand. And that gave me life to keep going. Okay, God, that was my plan. I guess it wasn't yours. I can keep going. And uh, though I was, literally, it was like a heartbreak. It's the only way I could explain it because I had so set, this is God's call me to this. I ended up going to a different school and, again, God's plans are, almost, are always better than yours. It was an amazing experience and set me well. The point is, is certain words come alive to you and they bear witness in your spirit. And they become life-giving words to you. Now, if you don't take the time to study God's word, you will only have this experience occasionally, and God wants you to have it more than occasionally. I want to tell you something. You were created for him. And for his pleasure, you were created. You were created for the pleasure of God. He had perfect harmony, love, communion, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. God is love. He doesn't, it's not something he does, that it's who he is. And existed for all eternity in the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect love and harmony, loving and deferring to one another, honoring each other in this unity of the Godhead and wanting to share that. Let us make man in our image. God is love. God doesn't just love. He is love. And he wants to share that with us. And so he created us to enter into this communion, this fellowship. You know, we can go through Genesis and you'll see the fall and the plan of redemption and salvation. But ultimately, it's a God wants you he calls us the bride of Christ. He wants us to come into union, right? We're, we're the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom, and he said he wants us to enter into union with him, this matrimonial-type union. And so that's not an occasionally I'll give you a word. If a husband and wife, you know, you have a relationship, and only occasionally you sort of speak to each other, that'd be horrible, most would say that's not, that's not a relationship, that's not a marriage. You know, you have dialogue every day. You talk to each other. You get to the point where I know what they're thinking. They don't even have to say it. You know, someone comes and tells you something, you know, like as soon as someone, my husband, my wife hears that, you know how they're going to feel because you know them. God's invited us into the place where he wants us to know him. So... In renewing our minds, it's this, this is why it's so important. And I really want to take away your excuses about studying the Word of God. It's imperative. It's imperative that you study. Timothy, it says, study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the Word of truth, like understanding how it applies. Rightly dividing means... You know, having wisdom and understanding in your application of the word of God. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to know as you, and as you, and it's a supernatural thing that takes place. God wants to begin to give you revelation, knowledge, and understanding of his word. But it has to start with filling your mind with it. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness. Just some other scriptures 
I'm just going to give them to you. I don't think I'm going to read them. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, keeps talking about this witness of the Holy Spirit. I think many of you here understand what I'm saying, but God, it'll, your spirit will leave, and you'll know inside, whoa, no, that's God. I know it. He's speaking to me. Studying God's word is vital for us to achieve single-mindedness. We talked about the double-minded man not receiving anything from God, but we want to align with his word and believe it. Just like Peter did at first when Jesus said, come. He aligned himself with it and started walking on water. Be single-minded. How else? What other ways can we begin to renew our minds? There's... Uh, I want to talk to you about, well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. There are some gifts of the Holy Spirit that he specifically gives us to build up our inner man. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning of verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. I want to focus on that. When you pray in the spirit, you're speaking mysteries. Your spirit's praying. Your mind is unfruitful, it says, but your spirit's praying. The scripture here shows both sort of the natural mind and the mind of Christ, right? The scripture is, says when you pray in tongues, your spirit prays, but your understanding, your soulish, your soulish, physical, natural mind is unfruitful. But it says you're building up, but you build yourself up when you're praying in tongues. Let's drop down to the same 1 Corinthians 14, drop down to verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue, the original King James Version says, in an unknown tongue. Not just a tongue. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Or So let's just stop there. He edifies himself. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. To edify means to build up to promote spiritual growth. It's that your soul is actually growing and being built up because your spirit is already perfect and complete. In other words, when you pray in a tongue, you're not building up your spirit, man. Why? Your spirit has been sealed, it says in Ephesians, to the day of redemption. When you're born again, your spirit belongs to God. And we need to renew our minds, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. So when you pray in tongues, you don't understand what's happening, but you're edifying your soulish realm. You're being built up because your spirit is already perfect and complete. The mind of Christ in your spirit prays when you pray in tongues. The goal is to facilitate single-mindedness. We don't want to be double-minded. And unfortunately, like, I never wanted to be double-minded. I believed God was my father. But when I went through a crisis situation... I had, in essence, like a, 
like, like a nervous breakdown. I was just completely distraught. And that's why people can look at, like, where is your faith? And in, intellectually, I was like, no, God is my father. I know he takes care of me. But in my emotional realm, memories of abandonment and other things flared up. And I'm on my own. I got to do this on my own. And I don't know how to fix this one. This one is I'm in a crisis and I, I don't have the, the strength. I don't have the wherewithal to fix it on my own. And I, I, no, I know God is good. God, you're going to take care of me. But my emotions were like, ah, screaming. Has that ever happened to anybody else? <laughs> you, you know the word of God is true, but you're like freaked out because you don't know how he's going to do it. When you pray in tongues, you build yourself up and you start to align with the word of God. Paul said in dropping down to verse 18, 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. Now, the apostle Paul received more of the revelation of the New Testament than any of the other apostles. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. And he was the guy, who, he was just probably, it's like, Paul, can we just talk for a moment? No, I'm not saying to get weird. Because he also corrected people and said, listen, it's great when you get together. Everybody's got a tongue. Everybody's got this. But it says, you know, listen, people think you're crazy. Some unlearned person walks into your congregation, your community, and everybody's speaking in tongues. They're just looking around and says, these people are weird. I know my first experience in a Pentecostal church, coming out of a Catholic background, I walked into a service. And they were in like sort of high praise. And everybody was talking in tongues. I thought they were mad. And I didn't even read that scripture. I had a friend with me who was ready to run out the door like, this is nuts. You don't, it wasn't even like singing the same song. Everybody was singing their own song and everybody was singing in tongues and it was just crazy. So I'm not saying that we do that, but listen, you have a prayer closet, you have times, pray in tongues a lot. Don't, you don't have to go out. You don't have to walk in the street muttering in tongues. Everybody says, oh, there's one of those. You know. <laughs> call the funny wagon or whatever they call it. You're, are you with me? Use wisdom. But pray in tongues a lot. Why? Because it's a prayer language. The Spirit makes intercession for us. The Bible says according to the will of God. We want to pray in tongues all the time that we can. We want to set aside time, pray in tongues. I think my first pastor, <clears throat> Pastor Sadafel, back in the 80s, would say, you want to experience more of God, go into your prayer closet, pray for tongues, in two, for two hours, pray in tongues, and you'll have transformation. I don't know that it's going to happen just after two hours or whatever, but the more you do that, you set aside that kind of time when you can, you will experience the mind of Christ. You will get revelation. Don't, we take, you know, Pentecostals, charismatic people, myself, it's kind of like, it's pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get tongues, great, I did it once. Okay, cool. And then you move on and you don't pray. Pray in tongues. 
my, my son will tell you stories of my wife praying, mad, in, in, you know, warrior, intercession, tongues over him, and him coming home from the doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. And she looked at him, and she just, like, read his mail. And, of course, he'd never admit anything. So even though you're, like, almost releasing a word of knowledge, you always have that doubt because he didn't own up to squat. But years later, conviction would come. He'd get saved. And he'd say, you know that time? <laughs> this is what was going on in my life. Tongues is powerful. It's a spirit language. First Corinthians 14, 13 says, Therefore let him who speaks in tongues pray that he may interpret. Now, this scripture is specifically talking about coming into the assembly and one having a word and, and trying to bring order and say, listen, you know, if everybody's speaking in a tongue, we don't know what you're saying. It's not edifying anybody. I'd rather you speak, you know, 10 words in a language we can understand that edifies us than 100 words in tongues. <clears throat> and he's saying, pray that you interpret so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying. I want to take on that and say, you can pray to interpret your tongues. So I asked the Lord, God, show me what I'm praying for. I want the mind of Christ, you know, and allow him to minister to you. Now, now, not everything that comes into your mind may be what God is saying. What do you have to do? You have to ask God for wisdom. You have to, you have to judge everything by the word of God. God never speaks anything against his word. It aligns not only with the written word, but the spirit of the word. God's heart, his mind, it's not just truth without connection to who he is as love. It's, it's, it's love and truth met together, right? Jesus Christ was mercy and truth together. So we, it's the mind of Christ and the word of God. We have to align with it. So don't, don't I ask for the interpretation and share something crazy and think it's God. That's test everything. Isaiah 28, 11. Beginning, yeah, verse 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. There's actually... Rest and peace. When you begin to pray in tongues and release God's purposes, you enter into a rest and it's peace and a refreshing. It's, it's, it's very important. I just, I think more than ever, times and seasons are, are shifting. We need the mind of Christ. We need to know what the Spirit is saying. So the two things I'm focusing on here is what do you need to do? Number one. You need to know the word of God, so you got to study it. you got to read it. If you don't have a, a basic sort of 101 is 
get on a Bible reading plan and stick to it. And try to read the Bible through in a year or two years, whatever it is. If you can do it, if you can do it more, look, it's always better to do more. <laughs> but do what you can and, uh, and don't make excuses. Get into a Bible plan, stay the Bible plan. Why? Because it will keep you on course. Okay, and it'll begin to speak to you. Say, God, speak to me through your word. Let your word become alive to me. Number two, we need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, many of you have that. If you don't have that, we're going to have a prayer time afterwards, and we're going to pray for a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you will receive this prayer language. Now, <clears throat> remember, the carnal mind... Can the carnal mind receive anything from the Lord? No. Why? The Bible says the carnal mind is at enmity or at war or just against God. So if, if you're going to limit yourself to what you can see, hear, think, and just understand with your mind, with reasoning, then you'll, you'll miss out. I, I, often when we pray for people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they get stuck because they're trying to understand, like, it's going to come and it's going to you receive it by faith. The Bible says in Luke 10, if anyone asks <coughs> for the Holy Spirit, he gives it freely. He doesn't withhold it. He's like, he's a good father. How many of you, you know, if your children ask for bread, will, will you give them a stone? <coughs> no, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more... Will your Father in Heaven give you the Holy Spirit? So when we ask, we have to just know He's going to give it because He said He would, and He's not going to give us something else. <clears throat> and then you have to allow yourself to to speak in tongues, which drives your mind crazy. I've been it, many of you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit when you first start out. Your mind says, "This is crazy. It's gibberish. You're nuts." But you receive it by faith, and then he increases your prayer language, and as you keep praying it, you start to experience the benefits of it. But I just, don't be double-minded. We have to enter in. We want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. So I'm going to close by just pointing out the necessity. Even Jesus needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, he says, But the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. John 16 Beginning of verse 12, Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. We absolutely need the Holy Spirit.
in <coughs> Matthew and Mark, it says that after Jesus was baptized by John, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days. And after which, you know, he was tempted by the, the devil. He answered with the word of God and resisted the three different temptations. And then it says he came out empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the purposes for which God had sent him. <clears throat> so we need that same infilling and empowerment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. So I was talking about releasing the mind of Christ. The two tools that I think that he's given us are studying the word and praying in tongues are two of the tools that he's given us to renew our minds, to, to tr that we enter into that full transformation. Um, so thank you, Lord. Let's all stand. Bless God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you've called us for such a time as this. God, I thank you that you're causing your church to be transformed and that you want us to go from glory to glory as we're transformed into your image. God, I thank you for helping us to understand the process that we're in. And that you're bringing us into the deeper things of God. That we might release in the earth realm that which is already inside of us. We thank you, Lord. And we bless your name.